Welcome back to our series of prophecy. We have been looking at prophecy uh, kind of throughout from the beginning of January, but with a lot of other events and things that we've been doing, like last week, Vacation Bible School program, and uh, especially through this summer, uh, we are uh, in a part of the series that we're focusing on the end times. And what does the Bible tell us about the end times? Uh, Again, with other events and activities, both in the last uh, couple of months and in the last month. But today and next week, I want to focus especially on the end times. And today, what Jesus said about the end times. And next week, especially focus on what the Bible tells us about the rapture, the rapture of the church. Most of us have heard that term and we've thought about it and we've heard about it. And so next Sunday, I hope that we will look more deeply into the scriptures about what does it mean on that moment at that trumpet call when Jesus returns and what does the Bible tell us about it? Well, today I want to talk mostly, I want us to, uh, uh, why and what does God tell us about the end times, especially in the words of Jesus? About four weeks ago, uh, I had uh, kind of given an introduction to the topic and said we were looking at the tip of the iceberg about the end times. And today we're going to look a little bit more at the, uh, at the iceberg uh, as we explore that. There is so much to see and read about and think about the end times, both little bits and pieces of the Old Testament, especially the book of Daniel. And when we were in Daniel in February, we read some of the things that uh, Daniel said about the end times. And uh, the truth is God gives us glimpses really uh, of the end times throughout the Bible. There's little bits and pieces of uh, information uh, about the future God's hand on eternity, and uh, a number of things about what it will be like as God brings to a close what we think of as history. God created history. He created time. And so we live within that, but God lives around that. And there's a lot of little gems or little portraits Uh, of God's plan about eternity that are in the Bible, about future. Uh, uh, There are are so many mysteries about the end times. And and those of us, if if you're interested in the end times and you have thought about it or think about it very much, you, you have a lot of questions, what it will be like and when and how. And the Bible gives us a lot of information about it. But on the other hand, the Bible doesn't give us every detail. It gives us what God wants us to have. And we'll think about in a few minutes, why does God give us this information? What purpose is it? What does God want for us? We do know clearly as we read the Bible about the end times that God has a specific plan and it's detailed and he knows what's going to happen and he is planning for that. And so the fact that we have more questions than answers doesn't mean that there's not a plan out there. God knows exactly when everything is going to happen and how it's going to happen. 
And we speculate pretty well about some of those details. And especially in the book of Revelation, there are so many people that have their ideas and thoughts about how that's going to play out. And uh, some may be right, some may be wrong, it may be somewhere in between. It might be very different that, than anyone really has speculated about. But the truth is, we have a little bit of information. And that gives us an opportunity to, to think about it. God has just kind of has the big blueprint and He just has opened it a little bit for us and shown us a little bit. And someday He's going to open it more and more. And then finally, as Jesus, uh, we, we read in the Scripture, someday we're going to see Jesus face to face. And everything in a blueprint will be amazing and marvelous and incredible and, and uh, wonderful. We know that time is limited. Our history is coming to an end. We think of history and all the events and people and places and how, uh, uh, how we view history. But God holds all of that history somewhere within his, his personality and all of that inside of that. Well, several weeks ago, we, we focused on God's timing a little bit and talked about the timing. We read in Matthew chapter 24 that that Jesus said about five different times that man will not know when the end will come. He said it five different ways. I mean, if you wonder, what did Jesus really want to convey to us about the end times? I think if you read it, you, you have to come to the conclusion, if you hear what Jesus said, is Jesus is saying that the time is not that important for you. It's not important that you know when. He doesn't even want us to focus on that. He says over and over again, only the Father knows when, but it is coming. Just as surely as every event of, of history, uh, uh, human history, every event that's taken place in every culture and nation and, and uh, uh, people, uh, the events of history, the events of biblical history, what's going on today? all have a date and a time, and surely the very end has a date and a time that will come and is coming. And God says we need to be ready for that. Only the Father knows when. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Consider these words. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. There is a mystery right there. Jesus says more than once, I don't even know when this is coming. I don't even know the day that I'm coming back. There's a mystery in that. How can God, how can Jesus, God's Son, not know that? Talked about that a little bit before and, and why Jesus said that. Well, if Jesus doesn't know, how could we possibly think we can pick the date and know when Jesus is coming back? It just seems so... Uh, so real that we live inside time, but only God lives outside of time and sees time in its reality. Um, uh, we, Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 20, 24 and 25, those are the, I think, the two chapters of the New Testament of Jesus' words that if you want to read what Jesus said about the end times, this is the place to go. These two great chapters. Chapter 24 is long. It's intense. It has a lot in it. 
there's a lot to, to just read a verse or two at a time and hear what Jesus was saying. But if you're wondering, what does Jesus say about the end times? This is, this is one of the places of the scriptures to go. It's Jesus' authoritative window. He's teaching. He's conveying to his disciples. And it's important here. Jesus needs his disciples to hear this. He wants them to hear it. This comes right the day before he's arrested. I mean, this literally is the last series of things that Jesus is teaching to his disciples, the end time. So it was important to them, the end of his life. And we're going to read this, almost this entire part of Matthew chapter 24. So I'm going to read today from verse 3 to 31. I just would love for you to to sit back, have your Bible open, or read it on your phone, or just listen to the words. But Listen to what Jesus says about the end times. Again, we're not going to read the whole chapter and there's more, but this is 28, 29 verses. Listen to what Jesus said about the end times. Chapter 24, Matthew, verse 3, begins like this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains." Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations And then the end will come. So when you are standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you this ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. 
And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one end of the heavens to the other. Wow, I about got to take my breath after that. Not just physically, but spiritually. That's a lot. That's a lot of information. That's a lot of things to think about from the words of Jesus. And all of this comes, it would appear, from Jesus answering a simple question. Someone asked Jesus a question. It was one of the disciples. It says here that Jesus, they came to him privately. After Jesus had taught many things in public, they came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? The disciples somehow a little bit understood that Jesus was leaving, but they really didn't. He keeps telling them, I'm leaving. I'm going away. And when I do, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. He's also said to them before that I will come back again. In John chapter 13 and 14, he talks about how, uh, and we read this passage when we we think about people dying and, and the promise of heaven. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself, that you will be where I am. The disciples had heard all along the way these things that Jesus said about the future and about his going and his coming, yet it's very unclear to them. And in this teaching, Jesus gives them a little bit more to think about. He's responding to the question. Jesus' teaching about the end times is preparing them and helping them to deal with the future when he's not there. He's giving them this information so they would understand that when he's gone, and he will be gone soon from them, but when he's gone, he's giving them information about the future. He's telling them God has a plan. He's telling them and the future of the church, our generation today, that no matter when you live or where you live, what century, what time you live in, God has a plan. And God is planning on the future. God has eternity on His mind, in His mind. They understood that Jesus was leaving. They somewhat understood that. But yet they were very confused about so many things about what Jesus was talking about there. Later on, as Paul wrote, and especially as John was given the revelation that we call the book of Revelation, then the disciples and the early church began to understand more about the future and what God had in mind. A little bit more of that scroll that God was opening up for His people to understand the end times. But what I want to say first about the end times from this chapter is we are living, I believe, in the end times. I've heard people say that. I've heard pastors say that. I hear some of you say that. You believe that. I believe strongly, I believe deeply that our day is late in our history. I don't know how late. I could be wrong about how relatively late it is, but there's just absolutely nothing I see in Scripture that would tell me 
that the moment could not be right here in our day, in our time, in our circumstances, in our world's history. Every sign that I think about and I read and I read about tells me that today could be the day that the end times begin if we look at it as a beginning moment of the end times. I know people have said that for centuries. People have said that for 30 years. My father-in-law, Ron Moss, pastor here for many years, uh, talked about, and I've heard him say, and I heard him say how he just believed that that, uh, Christ would come back before he died. I've heard many people say that. I've read how people have said that 30 years ago, 50 years ago. The truth is, through the history of this time period of the church, People have believed that they were in the end times. And many people have written about it over time. In a sense, we are in the end times and the church is always at the moment of the end times. It seems to me that every sign is pointing that it's very, very soon. Others have believed that and thought that too. The truth is, Jesus tells us that we're not to be focused on when it is. Like I said, he says it over and over again. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons, but the time is coming. Jesus is trying to prepare the church for the the age of the church, for whatever time period would be between his ascension into heaven, the day of Pentecost, and the time that Jesus would return. There's uh, the future... Uh, uh, their future, the church, uh, would come. And Jesus is trying to help them with that. There are two time elements in these words of Jesus that I see. One is the immediacy of what they were expecting to happen in Jerusalem. If you just go back to the beginning of chapter 24, if your Bible has a, a title, it probably says something like what mine does. The destruction of the temple and signs of the end times. The destruction of the temple was one of the things that Jesus was responding to when he wrote this. What was going to happen in Jerusalem after he ascended to heaven? After the day of Pentecost? What was going to happen to the temple and the Jerusalem? Jesus was telling them that a horrible time of persecution was coming. And so when we read chapter 4, we first understand that Jesus is talking about Uh, Two things. One is the destruction of Jerusalem. And that happened. And history gives us a lot of details that equal exactly what Jesus said when he talked about here in verse chapter 1, verse 24. Let me read this again from verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? Jesus asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And so that's what Jesus said. And then the disciples came and to him privately tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? The disciples associated Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple to the very end of time. And so those two elements are a part of Jesus' teaching. What was going to happen to the temple and when? And what was going to happen that would bring about the very end of time and Jesus coming back? 
Jesus is responding to that. Uh, Number one, we read and we know that the rapture, the rapture of the church is the beginning of the end of time. When we put together, when I do, and I, as I understand and I read all the scriptures about the rapture and the end of time, I see the timeline, and as best I understand it, and some people believe it might be different than this, but I'm telling you today the timeline that I see when I look at these scriptures in Matthew chapter 24, and then next Sunday we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and what it says specifically about the rapture. But this is the timeline, I believe, coming out of the scripture that Jesus begins to talk about, Daniel talked about. There's a couple other references in the Old Testament to the end of time. And then in Thessalonians and Corinthians and in the book of Revelations, this is what I see. Number one is the beginning of the end of time starts with the rapture of the church. It will be sudden. It will be unexpected. It will be uh, uh, absolute. And we're told that when Jesus comes back, people will be surprised There'll be two parts or phases of the rapture of the church. Number one is those that are in the graves, those that have died, Jesus will bring out of death, give them a new body, and reunite them in heaven with their soul. That's the first part of the rapture. The second part of the rapture then is all the believers on earth. And God knows our hearts and our spirits will be drawn up into heaven in an instant. You think, how is that possible? How is it possible that God brought a flood and destroyed the earth in Noah's day? How is it possible that God parted the sea for Moses and the people to go through? I mean, those all happened on a specific day in time. Everything that God does, He operates in time on our time. And there's a day when the rapture of the church is going to take place. I don't know when. I don't see any reason why it couldn't happen now. Why it couldn't happen anytime. Every sign in the Bible that I see points toward the fulfillment of all these things that Jesus talks about. So I believe that the end of time, as the Bible tells us, number one, is the rapture of the church. And those that are believers will be taken. There'll be no believers after the rapture on the earth. And then God will continue to work. For seven years, there's events that are foretold in the book of Revelation. What happens is three and a half years, three and a half years, people will become believers. There'll be such persecution and opposition and that time of tribulation is, is overwhelming. And then... On the day that God chooses, there'll be the second coming. You might think of the rapture as the second coming, but the scriptures, that's not really the term I think that's best associated with the rapture of the church. You have the rapture and then you have the second coming of Jesus who will then come and he will establish a thousand year reign and he will bring the saints from heaven. I understand the scriptures say we're going to read some of these scriptures next week. And there'll be a thousand year reign. Satan will be loosed for a time. And there'll be this spiritual battle that goes on for the souls of every remaining human on earth. There'll be a battle for those that come to faith in Christ. And persevere through terrible, terrible persecution. 
and some will endure to the end. And at the end of that thousand year period, the book of Revelation then gives us the many more of the detail of what happens then, the end of that reign and the judgment and the beings that uh, will be a part of that. And as we look into the book of Revelation, we'll name some of them, but then you'll have this time of judgment and eternity. That thousand year reign is going to include many of these events that we find beginning in chapter four, the book of chapter five of the book of Revelation, that thousand year period and what happens toward the end of it. And, and finally, it will come to the end of, the, of that time and there'll be that final judgment of Satan and of all souls. And then eternity will begin. Well, that's the timeline of what I think of about the, the coming of Christ and what the Bible shows us and tells us about that. New Testament scriptures give us different pieces and parts of all of these steps. There's not one place in the Bible that explains all these details at one time. You have to really care and study and learn even to think you got a possible grip on how it might happen. And then it may not be at all like any of us speculate. But God gives us this much. The New Testament illustrates for us that God is in control. I believe that the rapture of the church is the next major event on God's timetable. As best I can see. There are many things that happen uh, every day that God is, is uh, the gospel going out to people, miracles that happen, God drawing people to Him. All kinds of things are happening, but when I think of the major event, when you think about the time periods of the Bible, is the rapture is the next thing, and nothing else needs to happen before that takes place. You could say the end times, as we commonly think about it, begins at that point of the rapture. Yet in a sense, we're already somewhere on that timeline in chapter 24. Certainly when we read all these things that Jesus said, we wonder, well, has that already taken place? Are we in the midst of that? Or is it to come? And quite frankly, that's a mystery of chapter 24. It does seem true in all three of those things. Certainly part of what Jesus said had to do with the destruction of Jerusalem. And some of the things that Jesus says there is definitely happened in the first century to the Jewish people until 70 AD when the Romans totally destroyed, basically destroyed Jerusalem and God's people during that time. So in a sense... You have all these events, and all of them are pointing toward the consummation or the final judgment of God. These criteria that Jesus gives us in chapter 24 seem to be about Jesus' second coming. They do relate to the rapture, but even more so, I think, they relate more to when Jesus comes back to begin that, that reign of a thousand years. Uh, in the rapture, the Bible says that Jesus is taking the believers out of the world, taking them to heaven, taking the dead. All the people of God at the rapture will be reunited with, with Jesus. And then in the second coming, Jesus says that he will be coming back and bringing the saints back to rule for a thousand years. And so you have the event of the rapture. And then the event of Jesus coming back. One of the things that 
that Jesus emphasizes in this chapter and is true certainly in Jesus' day, but it's true every day. And I think this is so true of our day. It just describes our day. And that is that Jesus talks about the deception that will be going on at the end times. I can't think of a, a, a deeper description of our world today in 2021 more than the description Jesus says here. Watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. We are in the day of deception more than we have ever been in the history of the world. The deception that is so strong and true and uh, relentless deceivers, false messiahs, worldviews, alternate lifestyles, an attack on every, every truth in the Bible is taking place today. There is not a truth in the Bible that's not under attack today. In our society, here in America, other places as well. I can't think of a single law God gives I can't think of an element of God's perspective that is not under attack in our country by deception. Everything, every commandment, every perspective, every element of the worldview is under attack. We live in that age. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Jesus told us we'd live in that age. We live in that age where every truth of God is under attack. So Jesus told his disciples that. We should not be surprised by that. There will be many deceivers. Jesus also says that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Certainly that's true of our day. This one seems true of every day of the, of the church to me. Every day of human history since sin entered the world. But Jesus says the intensity. Every nation. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Again, this is mysterious to me. Famines and earthquakes. I read from some New Testament writers and scholars and People that believe in the end times that the days of famines and earthquakes have so accelerated in the last 30 years. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's hard to tell. It's hard to know what to believe anyway. But it's certainly true that we live in the day of famines and earthquakes. All over the world. Maybe because the news gets there faster about everything that's happening in the world. But we hear of things all, constantly over and over again. Jesus also said to the disciples, there'll be persecutions and hardships. And in this chapter, he reminds them of that. It's not going to be an easy time, a pleasant time. That's why many people believe that these, this prophecy is really about the second coming of Jesus, more so than his rapture when he comes the first time because of the tribulation, the great tribulation that will be taking place during this time. In the midst of that, those who are uh, desiring to be God's people 
it will be so much more difficult than it is in our day. We may think it's hard today, but what Jesus is talking about is something so painful and, 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 and difficult. Hardships, persecution. Jesus also gives us a fifth sign of the end, and that's that the gospel will be preached all over the world. He says, when the end is near, you'll be able to tell because the gospel will be preached all over the world in one translation in every nation. And we do read of uh, many different organizations who talk about all the tribal groups and all the countries all over the earth and how uh, each year there just seems to be a shrinking number of people who have not had the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus through radio, through print media, through the spoken word. Uh, and truly, if you look at a map and you think, well, what, what part of the world has not had the gospel preached to it? I, I don't know that you could find. May, there may be some places, maybe in the jungles of places and certainly areas where the, the, the heart is hard and the ideologies of, of the Islam faith, for example, don't, do not allow people to hear the gospel. But yet... You have the radio, you have phones, you have satellites, you have the internet. I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't imagine how this could be more fulfilled than it's been in my generation. The last 15 years of technology. You think of all the ways and places and times that the gospel have been preached all over the, the world. We are there. The question is, why, God, do you tell us this? Why is Matthew 24 in there? Every time I read a challenging place in the Scriptures, my question is, what is God saying to me in the midst of this? Why is this here? I want to, in closing this morning, mention three reasons why I believe Matthew 24 was given to us, and why I think the book of Revelation is given to us. Number one is this. God wants to encourage the church. You might think, wow, that don't sound real encouraging to me. I wrestle with why Jesus would want to do that. What is it about the end times that God wants to encourage us? And I realize that again, God is looking at eternity. We're looking at time. We're looking at what man will go through. God is looking at all of eternity and bringing to a close the history of man and the pain of sin and the dominion of Satan over the souls and lives of people. God is seeing the end and He's telling the church, I have a plan and we're marching toward that. That's why in 1 Thessalonians, I read that scripture to, to start the service this morning. You know, when Paul writes very specifically about the rapture there, then he says, encourage one another with these words. In the early church especially, they knew they were going through hard times because of the Romans. They had been brutalized. God's people by an empire that was, was hostile and threatening and murderous and brutal. The early church understood a little bit because they lived in that culture. 
We are beginning as Christians to understand that today because of the hostility toward Christianity. It's getting, it's accelerating. The news, politics, education, all those things are accelerating. We're beginning in our day probably to feel like the early church felt in the midst of the the Roman persecution, the Jewish persecution of the Messiah. And so when Paul wrote about the rapture, which we'll look at next week, he was writing to encourage the church to say, God sees where you're at. God sees your time period. God sees the signs. He knows what's going to happen. And God is going to be with there. And God is going to bring you through. So I believe the first reason that God gives us the end times is to help us to be encouraged. The second thing I want to say about the end times, why does God give us a picture of these incredible events? Is He wants us to be ready for that day. He wants the church to be ready. We are either ready to meet God or we are not. We are ready to look God in the eye and claim His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness or we are not. We are ready to meet God and and be able to say in our hearts that I am honoring You and living for You and I'm doing my best to be what God tells me to be or we're not. Jesus wants us to be ready. And His words in chapter 25 and earlier in chapter 23 talk about some of the sternest words Jesus talks about is in relationship to being ready for the end of time. There are three parables that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 23. All three, this is right at the end of this. This is is, uh, tied to this. It's not like He finishes and then tells parables. He says, I've told you the truth now. Listen to the story. Listen to the parable. Three parables. Go ahead and just list them on there. Three parables that help us to prepare and to be ready for what God wants us to do. God wants us to be faithful servants. Faithful servants. The parable is about servants, some who are faithful and are rewarded, and some that are not. It's a strong parable. Boy, you think Jesus was happy-go-lucky about this topic. Jesus was saying, Who are you? Do you really wish to serve me? The ten virgins. Are you ready when He comes? Are you ready when the bridegroom comes? There's really... Three parables and then two other illustrations. There's the fig tree Jesus talks about. All of them. Are you ready? And then thirdly, are you focused? These parables also are about being focused on the right things in your life. Are you focused on the kingdom of heaven? Are you focused on what God wants you to be? God doesn't give us these words to make us worry or make us fret or make us obsess. God gives us these words that tell us, I want you to be ready. I want you to know what the kingdom of God is about. I want you to know that I'm watching and I'm listening. I don't believe God gives us these words so we spend time 
trying to parse out every little bit of what this verse means and what this, how this is going to happen in Revelation and what the beast means and all these things. God gives us some of that detail. But this is what I believe God wants us to do about the end times. I'm going back to Acts chapter 1. When Jesus ascended to heaven. Our last scripture this morning. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Then they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Luke records these words of the two men, the two angels. Why are you looking up into heaven? Why do we, why are you spending time? I mean, it's kind of silly. It seems like a silly question to ask these 11, 12 disciples, whoever. I mean, man, Jesus just rose up and, but kind of symbolically, why are you looking at all those details? You need to be living now what Jesus tells you to do and looking for that day when He comes back. The purpose of the end times and to know the rapture. Would you stand please? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You today for these Scriptures that are deep and mysterious and have so much for us to think about. I pray, God, that we would treasure these prophecies and that, God, we would treasure them for the reasons that you want us to. I pray, God, that you would help us to live ready and watching and working and prioritizing and serving you, God, for what you want us to, I pray. We thank you for this story. We thank you for the rapture. I pray, God, that you would help us today and maybe between now and next Sunday to the Lord to, to hear from you. What do you say to us about the rapture of the church? What does it mean? What do you want us to know and hear about your plan for our future? I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for being here. Could we receive this offering? If you have an offering for kids camp, it is important. We probably need about, I don't know, three to $4,000 to help scholarship these kids. And I'd love to do that if we're able to. If you have an offering, bring it up to any one of these. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much.